Hi there. Welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is a podcast for wannabe fiction writers, and I am your host, Mer Lafferty. And this is probably going to be the last episode of the year, but I'm delighted to feature debut novelist, you're not a debut author, debut novelist, uh, Chico Dilly Emma Lamadu, whose book Dazzling is out, and uh, she's here to talk about it with me. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's cold and it's dark here in the UK, and you can't see me because I'm already in bed mm -hmm. under my 13.5 top duvet. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. <laughs> Don't say winding down, though, in case I start kind of like going, oh, I'm falling asleep. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you'll you'll get you'll get uh, uh, excited talking about the book. Um, I am excited. Yes, excellent. I uh, we start the show by talking a little bit about what we're working on. Um, I have finally, no! or not, <laughs> you don't have to. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm doing. Uh, I just finished two short stories and two essays that kind of ate up my last couple of weeks, and so. I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to editing some novellas for my agent and seeing what he thinks about them. Um, but I'm kind of slowing down. If there's nothing you want to talk about, that's fine. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but do you want to tell us anything? You're no, working that's on? fine. Um, well, I am working on two books at the same time, but I say that in that I've started two books at the same time, but I'm actually. Um, focusing on Dazzling Book 2 at the moment, even though my agent says not to. <laughs> I don't tell you. I don't tell to listen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Dazzling Book 2 right now is called mm -hmm. Rosetta for reasons which will become apparent. Uh, we see a more grown-up Ozemina in there. And I've just had to take a break from it because something happened that I wasn't expecting. I was like, no! <laughs> so I closed it and, and I ran away. Um, because I'm a coward and I was thinking oh my god people are going to hate me they didn't hate me so much but yeah uh, it's it's going to be very much uh, one of those quests quest books and I'm actually very excited about it I'm, I'm still excited about the one that my agent does want me to write because I pitched her three books and mm -hmm. the second one right now is, is called Forked and it deals with a girl who is uh, in, in the run up to a few months to her wedding when she begins to discover that her fiance might not be all that he is cut out to be and in fact that she's been she's been chosen specifically for all the ways in which uh she had been previously unaware of of himself yeah mm -hmm. um well I, want, things, yeah. I do want to talk about titles in a minute because we talked about that before we went live but let's talk about dazzling first um so your debut book does not read like a debut book so tell us about it oh in a good way <laughs> yes in a good no i brought you on the show to put you on the spot and tell you how terrible this book is <laughs> Listen, have you not been following book Twitter for the last few few days? Have you not seen what has broken out with the good reads and stuff? Oh. I mean, I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. All right, that could be, I think this could be an ambush. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the good reads thing is terrible. Oh, listen, yeah. A mess. But but we, um, so, <laughs> let's talk about your book and then we can go into yes. the mess if you yes. like. But let's talk about Dazzling. You know, so Dazzling, I chose, um, so uh, before we started, we went live, I was talking to you about how 
I I like to keep my my title short and sweet because I could look at that shine to that. Yeah, thank you, Overlook Press. Um, <laughs> so shiny. But that's the yeah. That's what I chose because it's not just that it's a one-word title, but it's the nickname of one of the central characters in the book. And she is she's beautiful. She has a beautiful mother. And I just also wanted it on the second level to be a compliment to the two protagonists in the book, or protagonist and antagonist, if you want, but I think two protagonists in the book. Um, because they are very much very young girls dealing with situations that adults should be handling adults in their life should be handling and aren't and so they having to tap into the things that make them extraordinary quite early on in life in order to um in order to sort of like survive not just survive what have been thrust upon them but also to um to sustain the adults in their life which is something i really wanted to 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 touch on um and the reason for that is like i had to tap into what it was like for me growing back in growing up back in nigeria um you're you're a child and nobody really listens to you and you're not really you're there to pass exams and to bring glory to your family and to not misbehave and to you know there's a lot of things but it's not tied to you necessarily as an individual it's tied tied to you as a member of this family um but in the middle of that, there were because you're not really seen as an individual, but more as an as an extension of your family. There are always things that are going around you where people don't expect you to notice or to pay attention or to 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 care. Really, just because they don't care that you're there doesn't mean that you don't care that these things are happening, right? Yeah. Because you're a, yeah. you're a child and you are subject to the whims and caprices of the adults in your life, so you do pay attention and you do. You know, you do kind of like, and I think it might have to do with not just being a girl, but also being a writer, like an artist. You notice these things and they sit with you and you begin to quickly notice how um, to navigate these things without showing the sort of strength that a boy would be expected to show, like physical strength. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to tap into all of that and to have these girls express things that had they been given a more... Uh, like a more supportive background, they wouldn't have to tap into until they were well into adulthood. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, given, unfortunately, I don't know, given that they have all these challenges quite early in life, they're having to tap, in, tap into those dazzling components of their lives in order to survive and to, to thrive. Can we talk a little bit about the leopard and the uh, mythology around it? Because that's one of the big things one of the girls has to deal with. Yes. So the leopard, um, I was introduced to the leopard quite young when I was when I was a child by this Niger this late Nigerian author called Vincent Chukwemeka Ike. He wrote a book called The Bottled Leopard, and in it, uh this kid who um has a leopard ancestry is kind of like battling with having this leopard ancestry, right? But I didn't find any more information in it until I was much older. And that's because a lot of these things were demonized by the colonialists and the missionaries, right? So they kind of all went underground. But the leopard societies of West Africa were secret societies whose job it was to keep law and order in the societies. So there there are lots of um, sections, factions of society or sections of society that keep law and order. They have the women's groups. They have the men's groups. Mm -hmm. Then within the women's group, they have 
the women who were born in the in the place versus the women who were married into the place right and likewise for the men and then they have like title groups for the men like different hierarchies of titles and likewise for the women so there's a lot of like strictures in nigerian societies but the leopard societies were above all of that in that they were supposed to be doing the will of the gods right so it was their job to if you were accused of uh I always give the example of rape because rape is such a high, it's a it's a heinous thing in in my culture to rape somebody. But if you were raped, right, and you knew who your accuser was or whatever, you knew who the person who raped you was. The leper it was the leper's job to to avenge the rape, and the reason for that being that well, it's 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 disgusting. It's a crime. It's horrible. But also, if they didn't take the utmost punishment out of the family. Then the entire community could be punished. We could have plague, we could have like a disease spreading, we could have crops failing. And so it was their job to do those things which society found unsavory. So they would do murders, for instance, but they were like justified holy murders, you know, things that hmm. that were supposed to be done. Because if an ordinary person were to commit a murder, then they would have to be ritually ritualistically purified. And usually it's really expensive. There's a lot of, like, this, this, this is a lot. So they were the ones whose job it was to keep that sort of, like, extreme, the extremes of law and order. Wow. Now, women, women were not allowed in those groups. As you well know, a lot of things are like, yeah, no women. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't let women, which is why, obviously, my protagonist is a woman. Because I thought, if we had to battle something in our current in our contemporary society the way that we see problems of society it's our turn it's our turn as women to kind of sort them out mm-hmm. because i believe very much that there we have different we have entirely different skill sets this is not like straight down the line or like oh men are versus women but generally as women i think from the positioning that we have had in society where we were the oppressed for the for eons all over the world. You learn a totally different skill set than if you are the privileged or the apex predator of the group. Yeah. And so I wanted the kind of skill set that my protagonists have to be one where she's had to gain a different perspective. She's not come from the very top. It's not a man's world. You know, she's come from beneath where she's been ignored or she's been treated like a girl. She's had to learn from her mother's knee and her mother also has had the same issues. Her grandmother has had the same issues. There's a different, there's an entirely different skill set and an entirely different strength that comes from that. So I wanted to make it so that if we had a leopard in this society, it's not a, it wouldn't be a wartime leopard like you have where men are signing up for drafts and they are going, it wouldn't be that. It will be something that leads more cunning and more skill and more sort of like, I don't want to say sneaky underhandedness, but like close to that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that a girl would be more suited to the role. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Well, what I, what, why I mentioned it doesn't read like a debut is that you've got this very confident voice and, um, you know, your descriptions are very rich and your characterizations are great. And I'm, you know, I knew you were a debut when I picked it up, but I'm still just looking at this like, this it just does not read like a first novel. It's pretty amazing. Um, you're not, but Thank you're not you. like a, a baby writer. You've been accomplished. You've been an accomplished short story writer for some time. You've been nominated for the Shirley Jackson and everything. So 
was it difficult to make that leap? Because I know a lot of short story writers are like, am I ready to write a novel? Can I think that large? How was that step for you? Well, I always knew I was going to write a novel even when I was a child, mm-hmm. right? That was always the... So short stories came after. Short stories only came in my 20s. And so short stories were a vic- like, came about as, as a result of my, my current circumstances. So I didn't actually expect to be a short story writer. It's just I had to write. I just had to. But um, those were the only kinds of stories that would fit into my life at the time, you know, just been married, starting a family, had a baby to look after, etc. And there was a lot of care involved for the family. And so short stories were the only thing that would fit. So the, the short story, the short story part of my life actually took me by surprise. Because growing up, I didn't have any experience with short stories. I had experiences with plays and with poems and with novels. Mm-hmm. So the short story thing was a totally a whole new arena for me. Um, and I think I might not have been able to do it were I not a trained as a journalist in my 20s. So I was now I had now got into the mindset of working shorter pieces and trying to get your message across as concisely as possible. Mm-hmm. But also if I didn't have any children, if I wasn't married, I probably wouldn't have gone for short stories. I would have gone and tried to get the novel out. Um, but I had to write because I was going to go spare. I was going potty otherwise. I was, you know, it was just it not in, and I don't even mean that in a funny way. Like I was not, I was not, um, I wasn't myself. I wasn't, I wasn't whole. I was, you know, I didn't expect to get married and I didn't expect to have children and all that stuff. And uh, here it is, I've done it now. And then it, it confirmed for me at the time. Um, even though I didn't think about it as a bad thing, I didn't realize that I was taking on a lot, you know, and a lot, the bulk of the care fell to me, the bulk of the childcare fell to me. My husband was, well, my husband at the time was always traveling and, you know, not even in the country. And it was just me. So I had to work somehow. And writing has always saved me. So I just thought, I'll give it a go. And and then I found my passion for short stories in that I could work at, I could, at the time, I, I was like, I had a fever in my blood. I was doing 8 to 12 to 15 a week. Just oh, kind of like... Wow. Listen, I had, I had, I didn't realize at the time also that this was pre, this was pre-medication, right? This was pre, because I had anxiety and depression. I didn't actually know. I just thought I was a horrible person and everybody hated me and, you know, things were my fault. And I had all of that energy and just awfulness to get out and, writing saved me man like writing short stories saved me man because i would have just virginia wolfed my life put pebbles in my pockets and just walked into the sea at some point but it saved my life because it meant that i could work on something and finish it and be on to the next one before i even had time to think Mm -hmm. so i was up at like odd hours sometimes i'll be i'll go to bed and i'll do it on my phone because the the thing about having a newborn as well having a baby is they wake up at odd times anyway so you're always up and if you're about to get back to sleep and, you know, you just put them down and you're about to get back to sleep, they're waking up again. And you're like, I haven't even gone to sleep. So all of that energy, that, you know, frustration, that fatigue had <laughs> to go somewhere. And I was lucky that it went into short stories. So that's probably why um, it doesn't read like a debut to you, because I've had a lot of time to get all my nonsense out of the way you know my insecurities my oh my god I don't mm-hmm. think I'm a writer. 
none of that. I just like, if this works, eh. if it doesn't work, eh. I was ready. I was ready. And so um, I, I just thought to myself, if, if it doesn't work, I'm just going to keep it moving. Just keep doing what I'm doing. But if I hadn't, if I didn't have short stories to sort of like give me that support and that, um, like do I, it was a trampoline for me. It was like, boom, I just bounce up boom, each mm-hmm. time. If I didn't have that support, then I don't even know that this novel would have happened, you know? Yeah. Um, so one thing we've been talking about in the I Should Be Writing Discord is um, what ambitious writing means. Some people say a, no- a novel is ambitious, and we've had a couple of answers being brought forward, but I wanted to ask you um, if you had an opinion of what ambitious writing meant. Uh, listen, I'm Nigerian. We're just ambitious all the time, so <laughs> I'm going to have to think about it. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this one. They house you from like when you were born. You're supposed to know what you were going to do uh, from like three, two, three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of literature, I think ambitious writing is allowing for allowing for risk, being able to take risk. And I think that... Part of being able to take risks, because not everything will work, right? But it helps when you don't have money issues, because then you're not looking for what will, what is a show banker, yeah. what will work so that you can get paid. Being able to take risks means being able to, to even um, go to places that you've never gone and to be surprised by what comes up. Because sometimes, you know how it is with novel writing, right? Or any, any kind of writing, you have an idea, a plot in your head. And sometimes you start writing it and the, the plot is like, it's a loose plot within what actually happens in the end. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's also having the, the resilience to not give up on something that doesn't seem to be working simply because you don't recognize the form or you don't recognize the scope of it. But also is, is having the peace of mind to do that anyway. It's not having any sort of money, money issues that means that you have to go for the short form thing that does work. And this is not, this is not to poo-poo any stories out there because all stories are important. All stories are important. But I believe that we are we're more able as, as, as artists to experiment or to have ambitious writing when we don't have the nitty-gritty day-to-day kind of like tightening the news around your neck. Yeah. But for me, ambitious writing is just see where your mind can go. I mean, we're dealing with a brain here, you know, a brain with all its unlimited potential and all its synapses and all its, you know, neurons and everything just firing, pew, 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 pew. And just allowing, not limiting yourself, not putting that logical barrier over the form or over the content. Just see where, not everybody has to see, by the way, but just see where you can go. Because when you get out of your own way, it allows you then to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable, to be more comfortable with being ambitious because you're no longer... You know, just write all the terrible things. It's fine. Nobody has to see it. But just do it anyway. You know, even if it's you, you're afraid of where your mind is going or you're, you have to understand, like, you're not your thoughts and you're not your plots. Just do it. You know, go for the scope. Go for the substance. Go for the different form. Just do what you want to do. Excellent. Thank you. Um. Did you want to talk about the Goodreads current events excitement or No uh... man, no man, <laughs> no man. They've had they've had enough they've had enough of like oh my gosh, no, 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 no. 
Um, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just, I feel like, I feel like, um, I think a lot of publishing is because it's publishing, right? And because you know we are made to, it's made to. There's this proverb in in, in my culture, in Igbo culture. Uh, it says it says like the let the eagle let the eagle perch and let the hawk perch. And anyone that says the other will not perch, may its wings break, right? And this is very much what has happened here. Mm-hmm. You know, you already had a you had a nice perch for yourself, and you yeah. didn't want other birds to perch. So now you've lost both your wings because you're a dickhead so um <laughs> so Pretty i much. think that's all there is that's all there is to say about that uh but there is also like a, a discussion to be had about like how a lot of like uh publishing houses feel like if you have two or three black faces oh no we have this in our staple they mm-hmm. really shouldn't be they really shouldn't be that fear that you know oh we have too many black people because we never have like too many white people or we now have too many or we have too many people we have one japanese author so that's enough no yeah you know, and that is what also leads to like this scarcity mindset of like, oh, there's only this this bit for us, and if I don't get it, there's somebody else gets it. There's not enough for me. Yeah. Um. This is not to excuse the author, the author themselves who has just done a dickhead thing and got their wings broken, but there's also that's a, a discussion for another day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not for now. <laughs> in in short, folks, don't tear down other authors. That's really. That's really the message here. Yeah, don't man. don't like, be I mean, a jerk. Don't be racist. Don't don't tear down other authors. Don't think that they're getting something better. Don't than be you. a dickhead. Yeah. Don't yeah. be a dickhead. Don't be a dickhead. It's really it's really simple. You know. Yeah. It's really really simple. But um, it, it always surprises me when adults act badly because it means <laughs> that they haven't they haven't actually like outgrown that phase, that kindergarten phase. Like, who raised you? Jeez. Yeah. Why didn't anybody ever teach you there were consequences to your actions? Why did anybody even teach you that that apology you put up was not an apology? Like, yeah. Go and take it down. What is like it's still up there? Like how he how is that? Do you not have any friends? You know what? My friend don't put authors down. Make friends. Make friends outside publishing and outside your industry. Mm-hmm. Because you see, a lot of my friends that are not writers, they can see through the BS quite quickly because they're not writers and they're not enmeshed in the world. Like make friends who are not like you need to be you need to be brought down a peg or three. Yeah. When you're when you're with people who are not writers, they don't care what you're they don't they just don't, when they come to your um to your um launch, they come to your launch to support you, right? And yeah. to buy your book. But let's face it, a lot of your friends don't even read the stuff. Oh yeah. The people who read the stuff are mostly not your friends. So you need to you need friends outside the industry. Friends in the industry are great, but they cannot be the only friends that you have because then you have you begin to live in this bubble. You become insular where you think that our little our little part of the world is all there is to the world. And then you act like a dickhead. And then you get your wings broken. <laughs> so make friends that are not writer friends as well. Make friends from every facet of life. Make friends, people who actually can, you know, make friends with, among people who reach into your brain and can rejig it and then you speak Chinese because they're that good. Like you need to be in all other people's worlds and other people's skills to realize just how small you are important yes how small you are in the grand scheme of things then maybe you'll be you'll be okay and we're back so one thing you said before about reading about other places and other people um i wanted to go back to dazzling because you have this uh you make a really you you describe the world really richly, and you use like uh you know food and traditions to 
really cement or gra- not cement gra- like ground the story where it is and um is this something that you does this come easily to you <laughs> I know that's a strange question I find I find description extremely difficult and so I'm always amazed at how other people can just create these these beautiful scenes um I think a lot of my scenes come from me missing missing home. I haven't been back home in a long while. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have I have lots of siblings. I have a few siblings. I have too many siblings. <laughs> um, <laughs> and sometimes, I <laughs> know number, but there are there's more than two Listen, yeah no and the thing is like it's like my parents are they've, they've been married to each other for about whew, 40 43 years right yeah. and and they gave me all these siblings between the two of them and so it's like oh god and so they had this whatsapp group where because i was the first to leave nigeria and i left pretty i've left ages ago man they would they would um i think a lot of my grounding came from the dichotomy between what pertained in Nigeria after I left and what was there before I left. And so into that, into that sort of like space between them sat the memories I had. Because the last time I've been to Nigeria was in 2015. Mm-hmm. And it was bizarre for me because um I I note I mean I noticed a, a lot of things a lot more because of their absence, you see, right. and because of where things should be that weren't. And it's like now you're moving. Like why are you taking a left turn? Unless there's no left turn. Well, there's a left turn here now, you know. And so it's sort of like I had one of those sheets, plastic sheets, right, of my own memories, and I was placing it over the things that were there the last time I was there. And so for me, because I miss Nigeria so much, and it's not really Nigeria I miss because the Nigeria of now is kind of like, hmm, you know, all my friends are gone to big cities and these big mm-hmm. cities have no, they have no bearing on my life. I don't have any kind of connection with them. They have children. I don't know their children. Their children. First of all, you have children? That is weird. Even though I have children, you know, <laughs> yeah. and their bodies are different and they drive and all that shit. And Oh, sorry. All that stuff. And so, you know, it just was one of those things where I became very, very aware of the differences that were there and the things that I miss. And it's not the things that I miss per se, it's the, it's the, it's the time that I miss. You see, mm-hmm. that thing could only be set in the time that it is because of the great encompassing powerlessness that these girls are supposed to have as compared to the power they do actually end up having. But it's a society in which I went home as an adult and I was visible in a way that I wasn't before. Mm-hmm. And also I was visible because I had a son with me. And there's this special precedent that's given to boys, right? Mm-hmm. So I immediately became important because I had this little five-year-old kid with me. You know, they have these hierarchies that women have placed. There's the, uh, they ignore you a bit. And then you start to get breasts and suddenly people are aware. And then you become, you become miss. And then you become a uh, sister when, you, when you're like, you know, like in your middle to late teens, you become sister. And then when you're rich, like uh, working 20 something, you become auntie. 
and then when you marry, you become mommy. And I skipped from Miss to mommy, and it was like, well, who are you calling mommy? You know, like it was just really odd for me. And so I had to a lot of the the the, the scenery and the food and the place and the, it just comes from me missing a time where I didn't have to pay bills and where I didn't have to be hyper visible so that I, I could observe without myself being observed. And that is basically what, what dazzling is, is about. I had to tap into that quite hard. And as for food in Nigeria, food is very important. You know, remember that, remember, I don't know if you ever were aware of the Twitter controversy around some Scandinavian countries, not feeding the kids that their, their friends kids. It was on Twitter. It's like, how do you not feed the, the kids that have come home with your kids? They make the kids wait in the, in the bedroom. And then they go and eat with the family and then they get, no, my culture, everything revolves around food. You know, if we even have a saying for if you're eating and somebody comes into your house, you say to the person, oh, my, your legs are good. You know, <laughs> your legs are good because it's brought you, it's brought you at this time. And then you give them, a, you, you dish from your food and you, or you dish from whatever is left and you give them and they eat, you know, like food is everywhere. And so it was a, it was a case of juxtaposing the experiences that were available to me from my 20s when I came back to the UK and now versus the experiences that I had growing up. And so in that in that um, space between the both of them, that's where all my memories and all the everything that I experienced came into. So it was pretty, at the beginning it was hard because this this edition of Dazzling is not the, was, not the final, was not the first one to begin with. So it was hard. There was just too much in there. And after a while, I was too little in there. And I couldn't figure out what I wanted in there, what I did in there, what was more, what people would find important versus what was just me kind of like being homesick. And then, you know, it kind of slowly worked its way to a more stable point. Wow. Sorry, you just gave me a lot By to think about. I haven't even thought about this before, you see. I haven't, I didn't, I didn't think about it. People say, oh, your culture is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also you have to understand like I've lived without people from my culture for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so for it for me to still be it's all it's sort of like when you're growing up and everything is, is such a stress on you. They'll like, oh sit like this or address adults like this, shake like this. And, oh, the one that used to annoy me is people will always come to the house and you have to serve them a particular way. You have to bring out the water bowl and the jug and the towel and the soap for them to wash their hands. Like get people go wash your hands by the sink, Joe. But like that wouldn't happen. You have to do it and then the basin gets gradually heavier and heavier and heavier and then you have to get the, the, the drinks and you have to say my kids don't even do that because they don't even have guests and so if they had to serve elders they wouldn't even know how to do it you know you have to place it so a certain way you have to know who was the who was the highest person in the in the group at all times mm-hmm. you know you had to because you couldn't serve somebody else last and you had to know also like you had to take it to the host, your dad or your mom or dad in this case. Take it to and then your dad had to offer it to the person, and then you have to be there because he's not going to stand up to offer. He's going to make a gesture like he's going to get up from his seat. Then you have to take the thing and offer it to the person. Like you are there a lot of the time, but not as a person. You are there like a as a facilitator. You are sort of like a, a dowel or a trolley or something. You know, like no, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. Somebody take this drink for me for everything. But you know, so. There was a lot of there was a lot of that, and so these questions I haven't actually thought about because I didn't think about the process. It was there's a lot of you know I'm lucky to have grown up where I grew up because it means that I can tap into things that I didn't care about at the time. But now with the 
with the gift of of hindsight, I can see them. I can see them clearly. I can see them for what they were intended to. You know, despite all the hardships, I can see them for what they were intended to produce in me, and for how they would stand up against the cultures that I have, I have since experienced from other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioned before we started recording a little bit about titles and how you like the one word titles and we were discussing that they're not the easiest thing in the world for some people so can you go in yeah. a little bit more about titles well i like a, i like a one word title um simply because when you're talking to somebody and you're they're like oh yeah it's a book, what's your book it's easy to say my book's called dazzling mm-hmm. you know you might not remember my name because my name might be a bit strange here I, I mean i give people the mnemonic device of piccadilly chickadilly you know so that tends to work they spell it, but they spell it incorrectly, horribly. So they probably won't find me. If I say dazzling, you just look for dazzling. Then they're, they're more likely to find it as opposed to, you know, she who ate the bones of the world and regurgitated. It's this long. <laughs> you know, not everybody's going to, not everybody's going to remember that, but it's, it's the same policy I have when naming pets. I don't give my pets long names like Mr. Jingle Post or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just call them one name is short. It's sweet when you're having a command, Jet. My dog's name is called Jet. Jet. He knows I'm calling him. You know, you can shout when he's far away, Jet. And he just turns around. It Like, it's, I, I like it short and sweet. Short mm-hmm. and sweet, no messing about. So titles like that, I think, I admire people who have, like, such interesting titles. Like, there's this Irish author called Jan Carson who has a short story collection coming out called Quickly While We Still Have Horses or something like that. That's so I love it. But I wouldn't, I'm not going to do that. I'll probably call it something like nay, because it sounds like nay for like no. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and it's short, it's short and I'll probably spell it incorrectly or whatever, just to make it interesting. But um, I've also noticed that with Dazzling as well, like before Dazzling became, came more to the public consciousness while the cover was still out, it was kind of like the number two or number three or four, because the other things like, oh, this Dazzling read with blah, blah, blah. So it might not necessarily be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, I think I like the short and sweet titles. It might change in the future, but uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Um, what kind of advice what? would you give? I'm sorry? I was going to say, what about you? I find I find titles extremely challenging. Um, I have... I, 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 I'm not sure how, if I've told this in public or not. Um, I had a book last, last decade called Six Wakes, and it was going to be about clones who lost their technology and had to throw their own wakes while they were alive. And, um, when my editor came back, she says, nice. um, she's like, we, you know, I need you to make these couple of changes. You got too many wakes. Let's, let's, let's focus on a couple and make like, major plot stuff happened there and i said okay well i'm gonna need some help from uh to change the title because i don't have another title idea she's like oh no marketing loves the title and i'm like but (laughs) you just told me (laughs) to change the book (laughs) so yeah titling books is not my strong point it's it's rough um yeah i i my publisher, my current publisher, Ace, has titled my last, my latest three books. So, and I like the titles; they do a good job. But I yeah. think sometimes it's hard for authors to remember that 
the title is a marketing tool. You know, this is true. And and if your title like that, the booksellers loved the title. They didn't care if it really mapped on to what was inside the book. They just loved the title. So, um, I I yeah, I've liked what they've come up with. Sometimes and, we might be too close. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I for some reason I find it easier to title. Uh, short stories. I'm not sure why. I don't write a lot of short stories. That might be why. I'm not sure. Mm. But it's I don't I don't know what it is. Um, sometimes I feel like coming up with a title is like throwing a dart across the room. Like you 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 might get close. <laughs> you might get really lucky and get an awesome one. But yeah, no. I think the reason why I like Dazzling so much is not just that it's a nickname of the girl or that it has to do with them tapping into their strength early. But also because there is that juxtaposition between what the title is about and how it looks. And when you open the book, you're like, mm -hmm. gasp, you know, so there's that. I love it when something kind of like subverts the expectation of the reader in that way, because it looks all sparkly and innocuous. And it's like, two girls do this. Yes. But what do they do to do that? Yeah. You know, so, Yeah. <laughs> Um, what, what kind of advice would you give to new writers? Uh, just block out the noise, man. Block out the noise. I think that you will go through a period where you want to give away your work for free, by which I mean you seek instant validation, and that's cool. You know, you want people to tell you you're doing a good job. You want pats on the back. So you're going to release a lot of your work for free. Yeah. Um, for me, it was doing the stuff on blogs. I did a lot of blog posts and stuff like that. And it's great because if you have a ready-made audience, it means that when you do eventually produce something, then you have people who are going to buy it. But you have to be careful not to prolong your apprenticeship period, not to keep giving away all your work for free because it is a job. It's a job. It's a craft. It's a skill. Work on your craft. Work on your skill. Give the audience what they want. But know, of course, that it might not be feasible for you to blog. Like I used to blog every Friday and mm -hmm. then I would have like two or three posts during the week or whatever. Because like people don't want to keep on waiting till Friday. The series I used to have would be every Friday, no matter what. But then I'd have like different observational things, etc. during the week. And so I think in that way, I cut my teeth somewhat on the, on the aspect of having... Uh, um discipline to to kind of like having the discipline to kind of like produce something every every Friday. So do that if you must because right now I don't I think it's mostly um what am I calling? What do they do now? They do like podcasts. Don't do that shit. Oh wait, I'm kidding. Do that. But don't do that for like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah you know I you you might be right. It's it's <laughs> I, I was I mean? able I was able to do that almost twenty years ago when there weren't a lot of podcasts, but there's a bunch now. So it's, it's uh -huh. harder. I mean, I mean, I don't mean don't go on don't go on Mars podcast. Oh, I don't yeah. mean that. I mean, don't don't do your material mm -hmm. on podcasts. Don't uh, one is not a substitute for the other. If you're going to work on your craft, work put your head down and work on your craft. Don't. I mean, don't substitute one for the other because they are two entirely different uh, mediums. Mm -hmm. So do the work first and then the rest will, will fall into place. And 
don't, I would say, don't, um, don't be afraid to, um, because we get to a point where you're just like, oh, it's never ready. It's not going to be ready. Blah, 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 blah. That's one thing that blogs can help you do. Because if your, if your post is nonsense, people will tell you, Ugh, yeah. you know, this one didn't hit. And this one, you know, they're just not shy because they're getting the content for free anyway. It's like, oh, we don't mm-hmm. know, you know. And so find a way to do that, but don't do it forever. You know, at some point you have to put on your big girl pants and and kind of like wade out <laughs> big girl bikini or big girl swimsuit and mm-hmm. wade out into the waters swim with the rest of us but for now work on your craft ignore the noise don't substitute one if you're if you think you can do more than one thing that's fine but don't think that you can talk about writing without writing that yeah. is not a substitute can't do you can't do it like that you can't and also uh, conversely don't be spending all your time on all the workshops. I mean, come on. I mean, we're all students and we're all here to learn. But forever in a workshop? No. You know, like yeah. woman up for heaven's sake and get yourself out there. Don't be a chicken. Just do it. And also read. You know, I talk about not being in our industry all the time. Yeah, get friends outside the industry, one. Two, workshop your stuff. So with free stuff for a while, do the apprenticeship. That is your apprenticeship. Two, then number three is read outside the genre that you want to write in. In fact, for writers, genre should not even exist. You understand? Because you're not a marketer. Yeah. It's not your job to, to categorize things. It's not your job. You pick up something. It looks interesting. Read it. Nonfiction, fiction, manual, anatomy. Read it. Because the thing about the artistic mind is you never know what's cooking up there. It's yeah. all going into some kind of massive cauldron. And then it comes out in the story. And you know what? You know what? You already know this stuff because you read about it. You read mm-hmm. all those weird anatomy textbooks. So you know exactly where to stab somebody and they, would, they won't die. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know the stuff. It's there already. And the way it comes out, it doesn't come out as an info dump. It comes out as this character knows exactly what they're doing because you know exactly what you're doing because you read the stuff and you know it. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to engage your weirder interest because, you know, as children, we are encouraged to do whatever. We're yes. kind of like encouraged. We, we, we get this weird interest and we fixate on things that are just bizarre. And somehow it's accepted in childhood. But the more you grow up, the more you're expected to act within societal norms. I will say, screw that. There are mm-hmm. no societal norms. To write that. Do whatever you want. You want to find out how to kill somebody and dispose of the body without anybody finding out. Do that shit. You want to see whether how it feels when you put your, your, your thumb in somebody's eyeball, do it. You want to see what an optic nerve tastes like? Do it. I can tell you how detergent tastes like. Why? Because as a child, I spent my, my, my <laughs> life eating detergent. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you how the white detergent tastes like, and I can tell you how the blue or colored detergent tastes like. I know what it tastes like because I tasted it. Because they spent all their time telling you as a child not to eat things, not to put things in your mouth. I you think, why not? Why could you put in my mouth? <laughs> do it, but do it as an adult. Do it now. You know? I'm not saying go around eating detergent. Yeah. But do the equivalent of that now. You want to find out something? Find out something. Pick up those weird hobbies. There's a YouTube for everything now. Do it. And see, if it lands you in jail, go to jail. Go to jail and serve your time because it's your, like, go to jail. Jail is the experience as well. If the police come because they are, you're researching dead bodies or you're researching bombs and they take you away, go to jail, add that to the cauldron, you know, it's fine. 
we need to be able to take risks for our art, not unnecessary risks and not necessarily calculated ones either. But we need to be unafraid to take our curiosity to the extent that it goes. We need to be able to do that. Otherwise, what are we doing anyway? We're not accountants. Shout out to the accountants out there helping me do my tax. But yep. We're not accountants. You know, you're not in that accountancy bubble. You're not a lawyer. You're not in that lawyer bubble. Leave all those things for people to do the ones that you want to do, unless you, you know, unless you want to be lawyer manners or whatever. But just do, do be free to uh, to to um in, indulge your curiosity. That those three things are the things I think as a writer will help you. But also the fourth thing is don't listen to any stupid advice. So you don't have to listen to me anyway. That's just right. Just do what you want. Yeah, do what you want. That's right. I I make sure to tell people you don't don't no, nothing I say is gospel except you have to write. Yeah, yeah. But also you don't even have to do that. Just who cares? <laughs> do your life. <laughs> do your life because I'm I'm one of those people that is very anti people telling me what to do, mm-hmm. and that's because I grew up with everybody telling me what to do. And I'm not anti in the in the in the like I will not waste my energy fighting against somebody telling me what to do. I just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a rebellion. It's not a rebellion because it's not... A rebellion means that you set something up as a standard and you're anti that. No, I'm just not doing it because it's not what I'm doing. It's not where I am, you know? So just find... And I think the voice comes with that. When you grow a lot more... When you grow a little bit more confident and all these steps will lead you towards confidence, then the voice will come because then you're assured of how you speak, how you think, what you believe. And you're not you're not afraid of holding two opposing thoughts in your head and being afraid of the darkness in your soul. Don't be afraid of all that stuff. Right. No. Well, uh, the book is dazzling. The author is uh, Chikodili Emilamadu. And I am so delighted that Woo-hoo! you were able Say to come properly. on. What? I you said, said my name properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, it's it's it. The book is dazzling. It's amazing. You should check it out. I just trying not to hurt myself bringing it down to show to the camera again. Um, where can we find you online? I'm on Twitter, that health site, uh, as C H one word. Okay. But I'm also on Instagram with my full name as one word, and I'm on TikTok. But I don't give people my TikTok thing because I don't actually do anything on it. I just use it to lock another account and laugh. Mm-hmm. So TikTok is my kind of guilty pleasure. So I'm not on book Twitter or anything like that. So you see, I'm taking my own advice. Yeah. I'm on lesbian Twitter a lot. I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm gay and I don't even know it. But like any woman with like biceps, hewing wood, I'm there. Or like, <laughs> or, or like, <laughs> the algorithm just brings me back there. Or like suddenly they like, know this, they know like sword craft. And suddenly I'm there. And like, it's like, how do I? I can't, I'm never going to make a sword in my life. I'm never going to fight with a sword. But look at me. I'm on, I'm on swordcraft lesbian, lesbian uh, TikTok. I don't know how that happens. Or like places where like uh, there are lots of cats doing foolish things or dogs doing foolish things or people calling out pro- podcast bros. That, you know, it's, it's just I use it for my, for my enjoyment, pure enjoyment. And like places where they have all these obscure facts and things about like how what happened before these pictures we are taking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where you find me. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And Thank uh, you for having me. Everybody, you can find me at merverse.com. I am trying to be live on Twitch Tuesday, Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And um, have a good rest of your year. I might pop up 
once or twice, but I'll probably won't be podcasting again until next year. Have a safe and happy holiday, and you should be writing. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest-running writing podcast in existence. Theme music provided by John Anilio, art provided by Numbers Ninja, and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 License. You can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. <laughs>